Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Very, very good afternoon to you. Warm welcome. It is Thursday afternoon. How the weeks fly. It's fresh thinking time, getting ourselves into the Shabbos spirit. So that's a time we have to think a little bit about out of the box because we're heading into a time of the week that's a little bit out of the box. So let's put our heads together and see the world from a fresh perspective. You are welcome to join the conversation at any time. The you should know by now. The SMS number is three four five one nine, and the WhatsApp number. Which I think is a good idea to keep in your phone as a contact. So the WhatsApp number is 0618951019. And it's always really nice to hear your input and your thoughts. You can tweet as well. You can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet at Rabbi Shish. So obviously, one of the things everybody was talking about last night and probably a lot of people are still talking about today had to have been that incredible celestial astronomical event that happened last night and some people claim for the first time in 150 years. So you went outside last night, right? I hope you looked up. Unfortunately, in today's world, everybody's spending spend so much of their time looking down thanks to the devices that we hold in our hands. Here was a good reason to look up. By the way, if you live under the African sky, you have a good reason to look up frequently. We have some beautiful skies. And at night, a night such as last night was actually quite clear. So it was, it was really nice. And everybody was looking out to see that special moon. Did you do it? Did you go out and look? And see the moon. Let me know. I'd like to know how it looked to you. Saw some uh, funny things people had posted. Somebody says he was uh, sitting for hours looking at the blue moon through his window, only to realize that it was in fact his neighbor's satellite dish. Now, uh, I guess somebody thought he'd be a little bit funny, but the truth of the matter is, I saw somebody take a picture last night of the moon, and uh, it must have been through a window pane, so it looked kind of blurry and almost a little bit ethereal, a little bit spiritual, in fact. But for me personally, walking out of Shul last night after the evening service, we had a really nice view of a large, what do they say, 14% larger than usual. That's why it's called a supermoon and considerably brighter than usual. It was quite something to see. It was quite something to see. And uh, somebody who I guess didn't really understand the expression was very Concerned about the fact that he could not see the blue, to, this is true, couldn't see the blue hue of the moon. Thinking, of course, that a blue moon had something to do with how the moon looks. So it's a blue moon, it's a red moon, a blood moon, it's a super moon, all these kinds of things that were associated, those three things coming together last night, that's what's supposed to have made it this highly unusual astronomical experience. So my question is, so what? I mean, it's nice. It's pretty to look at, and, and it is quite intense. I must say, one of my kids said that the moon almost looked a little like the sun last night because it was. It was that bright. So it's, it's beautiful. It is spectacular. We didn't get to see the blood moon. I'm not even sure if the eclipse was visible in South African skies, maybe at some absurd time of night. I don't know. But just the ordinary supermoon, that's something quite uh, quite something to see. And, of course, people have said there have been a whole bunch of supermoons in the last year or so. So that's my question. So what? Other than the fact that it looks nice, 
Does it mean anything? Do Jews take these kinds of things into consideration? Does the Torah have a view on a blue moon or a blood moon or a super moon? So that's what we're going to be talking about today, and I'd like to hear your views on it. And I'm pretty sure that there are people who have a view. So share yours, please, with us on 34519 if you're going the SMS route. Otherwise, WhatsApp 0618951019. Or as many of you like to do, you can tweet at Chaifem or you can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, talking today about the blue, what do they call it? The super blue blood moon. Sounds all very confusing, I must say, once you start tagging along all the different descriptions that are supposed to be associated with this moon that we saw last night. So, my question is... Is there relevance or is there significance to us as Jewish people? So we look out and we see the thing and it's, it's very beautiful and it's very um, attractive and it's unusual. But is it something to make a fuss about? And I don't know people get all excited about these things and they start making all kinds of, pre- of uh, predictions and all kinds of things that are... Um, that it represents change that's coming to our world and then they start quoting things that happened when there was last a blood moon or when there was last a blue moon so it gets really interesting you know once and of course there's a lot of conjecture that goes with those things so i always wonder you know what should we take with a pinch of salt or perhaps more than a pinch of salt generally speaking i suppose the question goes beyond blood and blue moons the question goes to a different area within life itself and that is how seriously are we supposed to consider things that happen in the skies how seriously are we supposed to consider zodiacs and horoscopes so we could go down that route and i suppose that would be part of this conversation and many of you probably believe that you know exactly what the jewish view on that is because it seems to be pretty well um uh, publicized but what about the moon in particular because we do know one thing if if i can use this to launch the conversation if there's one thing about the moon that we do know it's that it plays a very central role in jewish life it was just two weeks ago in the Torah portion on Saturday two weeks ago where we read that the very first instruction the Jewish nation was given as a nation was to establish a calendar. And the nature of that calendar had to be built around the moon. So there you have it. Can you imagine? There's a nation about to be formed, about to be formalized, and they're in Egypt, about to leave Egypt. What do you think would be the most important instruction to give these people? I could think of a whole lot of things, like don't complain. That might have uh, been a good preempting of what was going to happen in the desert. But Hashem decides that the particular instruction he's going to give is the instruction of a calendar and specifically based on the moon. So there you have it. The moon obviously plays a big role in the Jewish experience. And if it does, then you have to ask yourself, so what does it mean if something is unusual about the moon? Is that something to consider? And perhaps just to expand that a little further. So we know that the Jewish month begins at the time in the lunar cycle when the moon is essentially invisible to us. In fact, the sign of a new Jewish month is what we call the birth of a new moon. 
every single month, still today, in shuls and synagogues all around the world, they check just before the new lunar cycle is supposed to begin, what time should we expect that you'd first be able to sight the new moon? And it's highly precise. We take the ti- the day, the time of day, whether it will be a.m. or p.m., and then we also break down an hour into 1,024 parts called chalokim. And then we work out how many of those parts. So it's less than a second. How many? It's a, it's, it's a highly precise analysis. Obviously, it's got to be important if we're analyzing it that closely, surely. So there's one element is that the beginning of the month is the time of the birth of the new moon. The middle of the month is well, logically, if it's a 30-day, it was actually 29-point-whatever-day cycle. So then, naturally, in the middle of the month, that's got to be when you expect the full moon. So a full moon must be significant in Jewish literature and in Jewish thinking and in Jewish experience. And then you can stretch your imagination just a little further, and you can work out that from the birth of the moon at the beginning of the month until the apex of the moon in the middle of the month – the time we call the waxing of the moon, that's got to be a time of growth. Whereas the second part of the month where the moon is reducing, at least what we can see, I mean the moon obviously doesn't change, it's only what's visible to us, starts to diminish, that might well be a time of the month where things are weakening or diminishing or toning down. You'll also know that just about every major date on the Jewish calendar is linked to the full moon. So we're coming up for Purim. That's just prior to the new moon on the 14th of the month. We've just had Tubishvat yesterday. Tubishvat, middle of the month, full moon. Pesach is on the 15th of the month. That's a full moon. So is the holiday of Sukkot, of Sukkot. Also 15th of the month. In fact, there's a day sometimes overlooked called Tu Ba'av, the 15th of Av, which is considered the day of rebound from the tragedies of Tisha Ba'av, the destruction of the temple. That's on the 15th of the month and clearly associated also with a full moon. So the moon definitely holds a very prominent place. In the Jewish experience. So then if something is unusual about the moon, because we track the moon and we say, if it's a new moon, it's a Rosh Chodesh, it's a good time. There's birth, there's opportunity, there's potential. If it's a full moon, it's a Chag, it's a Yom Tiv, it's a celebratory time, because there's the fullness of light. So if we're tracking the ordinary movements of the moon, what about the extraordinary experiences of the moon? Like, for example, a supermoon, or like, for example, an eclipse of the moon. And that could be where things start to get a little confusing because a supermoon sounds like if the moon is a positive force or a positive image, then a large, bright moon must be a more positive image. And then you've got an eclipse. Eclipse sounds like it's pretty much the opposite. Now the moon is obscured. Now the moon's light doesn't shine. What now? So maybe that's what confuses people a little bit about last night's phenomenon because it's on the one hand the moon in its full power and on the other hand it's the moon in lessened power. So how do we work that one out? By the way, I should just add, and and if this is not already obvious, 
on the Jewish calendar, by definition, there can't be a blue moon. Because the definition of a blue moon is a full moon twice in the same month. Well, considering that the Jewish months are lunar months and they're tracked from the beginning phase of the new moon till the waxing phase of the till the waning phase of the disappearing moon, well, then obviously you can't have more than one full moon in that particular cycle. So let's scratch that one from having Jewish significance because it clearly doesn't. And I know that that's what makes last night's phenomenon once in 150 years. It's specifically the fact that there's a blue moon element as well. I know that, but we're going to chuck it out because it can't have relevance to us really in a Jewish context, but we can talk about a supermoon, we can talk about a blood moon, and we can talk in generic terms about whether the state and appearance of the moon should be something we take that seriously. I know a lot of people will tell you, if you're starting to look at the stars, that's when you're out of line. Judaism isn't into that. We're not into astrology. But we're not talking about astrology necessarily. We're talking specifically about the moon. We're talking specifically about supermoons and eclipses. And I suppose it will spill over a little bit into the discussion around solar eclipses. Um, so what do you think? 34519, if you've got an SMS on, the, on that topic. Or a WhatsApp on 0618951019. You can tweet at FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. I'd like to know, do you think there's a Jewish significance to the, the blue Blood Supermoon. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, so uh, here's a couple of uh, SMSs, all from the same number and all anonymous, unfortunately. But so the, this, uh, I'm not going to, the two of them are essentially saying the same thing, but the SMS says that the lunar eclipse is a curse for the Jewish people. I think we need almost drum roll at this point in time because curse is a very, very strong word. And I'd love to know if there is something to corroborate that with, to say that a lunar eclipse is a curse for the Jewish people. So I'd like, I'd like to revisit that. And then the third SMS is the, the Moila, there's an approximation. It's not accurate, even though we give the Chalakim. So we're not going to get into the whole astronomy of it. My point was not about the accuracy. My point was about the attention to detail, which obviously highlights for us how central the moon phases must be to us. Um, e- even if the particular halakim are not exact, that doesn't really make a difference. The point is we obsess a little bit with the moon. I mean, we say a prayer over the moon every single month. It's called Kiddush Levana. Sometime during the uh, early part of the month, different customs. Some people start almost immediately after the new moon and some people wait until the moon is a little bit more substantial but we have a custom if it's not a custom it's part of jewish tradition that we um that we go out and we do kiddush levana kiddush levana is a special prayer it's a number of paragraphs long you have to look up at the moon first just to see that it's actually out and visible can't be uh, obscured by clouds You can't be standing indoors when you do it Then you say a special blessing to thank Hashem For the way that he set up the system With the moon And then we proceed to say All kinds of things about the restoration Of the, the Jewish kingdom With Mashiach, we talk about King David We greet each other to show a sense Of Jewish unity, and it's a whole ritual Associated with the moon, so it's clearly Very uh, central to the Jewish Experience um, 
Okay, great. I've got a response to the SMS, both a response to asking where would it say that it's a curse and a name to go with it. So I want to thank Malcolm for the SMS. Malcolm says, curse is quoted in the Gemara in Sukkah. So we're going to talk about that. It's actually something I was going to come to was the Talmudic reference in the Tractate Sukkah where it talks about what happens if there's a solar eclipse, what happens if there's a lunar eclipse. might include things that people didn't necessarily expect, but I don't believe that it uses the word curse. I think that's what I'm saying. I think curse is a really harsh word. We've got to be careful how we use it. Um, okay, as I said, people have all kinds of conjecture about blue moons, blood moons, etc. So Yoni says that President Trump was born on the day of a blood moon. I don't know if that's true or not. And I don't know if that was intended as a positive or as a negative because obviously opinions about uh, Donald Trump are very divided. So I'm not sure exactly what that message meant and where it's going. If you can add some detail to that, that would be great. And uh, yeah, there's quite a lot of interesting stuff coming up over here that's more about astrology. I'm going to hold off on astrology for now and rather just talk more about the, the moon. Let's, let's talk about the moon and, and what that represents. So if you have a thought on that, that's fine. I'd love to hear it, but not, uh, not necessarily about, um, about astrology per se. Here's one from Richard. It's quite long. Richard says the full moon is an important sign. It is the marker for a new month in the biblical calendar. Now, imagine if us Jews lived on the moon, we'd have a new month every day. Okay, don't know if that, that's actually true, so we're not going to go down that road. And then it gives a whole scientific way of measuring the movement of the moon. We're not going to talk about that either. But the point that he says over here is that uh, it's an important sign because the new moon is the sign of the new month. Oh, he said the full moon. Sorry, he said the full moon is the sign of the new month. No, that's inaccurate. It's not the full moon that's the sign of a new month. It is specifically the new moon. So sorry, no, that was that was off. That that was off. Um, and then, of course, we have people who tune into the show who have a sense of humor. And here's Steve who says. I go to shul once in a blue moon. Well, uh, I don't know if that makes it a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe that means Steve was in shul yesterday. It's a pretty good time to be in shul for Tu Bishvat. So, yeah, good on you, Steve. Uh, hope that you get around to shul a little bit more frequently than just once in a blue moon. My gosh. Now, there's a particular verse, and it's uh, part of the – well, there's actually two verses, and that's – Possibly where some of the confusion comes in. There's a verse in the in one place in the Tanakh, I believe it's in the book of Yirmiyahu, that talks about the fact that you should not consider the signs in the heaven. There's nothing to worry yourself with. It's kind of like part of nature. That's what happens. I mean, there was a time, of course, where people were highly superstitious and didn't understand what eclipses were, and they thought that these were terrible omens. You found that a lot with solar eclipses because there were certain societies that worshipped the sun. So if there was a solar eclipse, and of course they didn't have the means by which to determine or predict when they were going to happen, so it came kind of surprising and out of the blue. They believed that it was a terrible omen because their god was in some way a um, being weakened or undermined or something like that. So 
I suppose in a time where, where people couldn't predict these things, there was definitely a sense that there must be the celestial beings are aligning in a particular way or behaving in a particular way that has an impact on us here on earth. So addressing that, you've got the prophet Jeremiah saying, listen, there's nothing to worry about. Don't be afraid of the signs that are in the heavens. On the other hand, you have another quotation in the Tanakh, I believe from the prophet Malachi, talking about the concept that God will turn the moon to blood and that would be a sign of impending doom for the enemies of the Jewish nation. So that's an interesting one and I suppose that that will launch a whole lot of people into all kinds of excitement about what blood moons represent. I remember last year we had three, if I'm not mistaken, with had like two supermoons and three blood moons and people were saying that they're all associated with Yom Tov. No surprises because if you consider that most Yom Tovs are on the 15th of the Jewish month which is full moon, it's quite likely that you're going to have a red blood moon which is always going to be at full moon. It's most likely that it's going to coincide with a Jewish holiday. And people were talking about how it's going to imply that there'll be change in the world and all kinds of good things will happen will happen, and other people were saying bad things would happen. So once you throw out a verse like that that says God will turn the, the moon to blood, everybody can get really, really excited about it. Of course, you have to recognize that this is something which happens relatively often, and we've got to just be so cautious not to start turning things into signs and omens when we don't necessarily know that that is the case. So, I want to share with you, I want to share with you a very interesting thing, and uh, follow-up quotation, a uh, follow-up SMS uh, from Malcolm saying the Gemara uses the expression Klala, which is a curse. Okay, so let's see. <laughs> let's see exactly um, what the language of the Gemara is. I'd like to share it with you. Here's the, the Talmud, the section in Sukkah, which talks about exactly this concept. So it starts with a quote. Koi Omar Hashem, so says the Lord. El derech agoyim altelamdu. Don't learn the way of the nations. Of course, at that time, there were many nations that were highly superstitious and uh, served all kinds of uh, beings, celestial beings. Do not shudder from the signs that are in the heavens. That's the quotation from Yirmiyahu, from the prophet Jeremiah, saying we need not be afraid of those signs that appear in the, in the, in the heavens. And then he says, Sorry. Then he, the quotation ends that the nations of the world will be afraid of those signs. Says the Talmud. I'm not going to read everything in Hebrew, but it basically says that those who worship the sun, the moon, and the stars, they are the ones who will shudder and be afraid, but those who don't have no reason to be afraid. And... Um, he then goes on basically to tell us that as long as we do, this is the quotation in the Talmud in Sukkah, as long as we do what God wants from us, we have no reason to be afraid of likui me'oros. That's the expression. So it sounds quite similar to kelala, which is a curse. But in fact, the word is likui, which is almost like an affliction, almost as if something has happened, like an illness. So there's our first thing to consider that the Talmud says very clearly based on the teaching of the prophet Jeremiah that if we're doing what we need to do and we're following what God wants from us we don't have to freak out from these astronomical phenomena uh, that's one thought of course as we'll see in a moment uh, 
there's a lot more to the story and I'd love your input as always. So send an SMS on 34519 or send a WhatsApp on 0618951019 or tweet at Rabbi Shish or tweet at Chai FM. Meanwhile, Pick and Pay Hyper Nord has a bunch of specials that are valid until the 4th of February. So they've got, they said you've got to visit the Hyper for amazing 100 Rand deals. In addition to which, they've got Pick and Pay Long Life Milk. Six one liters assorted are at 65 Rand 90 each. Their Pick and Pay White Sugar 2.5 kilos are now 32 Rand 90 each. Pick and Pay 2 ply toilet tissue nines in white. You can buy any two for 70 Rand, which means you save 30. 7 Rand And no name 7 kilograms of potatoes 7 kilograms of butternut And pick and pay 3 kilos Onions You get all 3 of those For just 100 Rand And finally No name light meat Shredded tuna In salt water You can get 10 of those For 100 Rand That's pick and pay Hyper Norwood And I've heard a lot of people saying You know there's this crisis Looming in Cape Town And what are we doing As a Jewish community To assist Well you can join The Darche Noam Water Drive And help us fill Two giant trucks By next Wednesday The 7th of February We're collecting Both drinking water And grey water For cleaning etc In any sealed Vessel, it could be a jerry can, empty paint tin, etc. So please label accordingly. All water may be dropped at Darche Noam School, which is 159 8th Avenue Highlands North, or at 52 Elray Street in Fairmount at any time. These trucks will be driven down to Cape Town and the water will be donated to Highlands House, which is the Jewish old age home, as well as other needy establishments through our partner schools. You may also donate, and we will purchase bottled water here in Johannesburg. Apparently, Cape Town's completely sold out on your behalf, and add it to the truckload. So, you can make donations to Darche Noam. It's FNB, and the account number is 626-956-5673. Okay, hard to remember an account number just like that. So, it's 626-956-5673. As a reference, you should put the word water. Watch the space as we announce further schools who have accepted the challenge and are partnering with us. Please spread the word. I think it's a wonderful initiative to do something. It's a little bit like the starfish on the beach story. You know, we're not going to solve the water crisis in Cape Town, but we could solve part of it. So good on them. Good on the Darche Noam School for coming up with that initiative. Let's hope that others get involved and uh, do things which are relevant and significant. It's 27 minutes to 3 o'clock. You are on Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla talking today about last night's super blue blood moon. Or is it blood blue moon? I don't know. (laughs) Or blood blue super moon. I'm sure there are many ways that you could say it. And my question is, is it something that we should consider from a Jewish point of view? Is it something that we take seriously? Is it something that we believe has some kind of impact or some kind of meaning? Uh, Steve says, no meaning whatsoever. And I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. It's an astronomical event and that's it. It just happened. But I'm not sure that the Talmud would necessarily agree with that. I'd like to share with you the uh, quotation from the Talmud. Something to think about. This is in that same section where it speaks about likui ma'oyos, about what happens if the celestial sources of light are in any way likui. It's hard to translate, but it means like afflicted. 
So this is what it says. I want to share this with you. The Talmud says there are four reasons why there might be a solar eclipse. In other words, there are four behaviors, as we're about to see, that we could engage in which might influence a solar eclipse. Number one, if the head of the Beth Din, of course, in those days, in Talmudic times, the head of the Beth Din had sweeping powers, had tremendous authority, not only over his immediate city necessarily, but sometimes over the whole Jewish world. So if he would pass away, that would be accompanied by a solar eclipse. Or if a young girl, specifically an engaged girl, that's something the Torah talks about, a Naira Meorosa, that's a woman who's betrothed to be married and that she's assaulted by a man and nobody comes to her rescue. Wow. I could think of some of that going on in different places in the world today. Anyway, that would be the second possible I'm sorry, I skipped something. It's if the Av Basedin, if the head of the Basedin of the Beth Din dies and the community does not grieve properly, that'd be cause number one. Cause number two would be this woman who's assaulted and nobody comes to her rescue. She's in a public place, it's in the city, nobody cares. Uh, then it says and this would be highly controversial, but the Talmud says that it could be due to other inappropriate relationships and it could be a situation where two brothers are murdered on the same day. So you can hear that these are all things about some kind of breakdown in a society that they would be the cause. That's how the Talmud seems to be saying it, that they would be the cause of a solar eclipse. A lunar eclipse, on the other hand, lesser things. People who give false testimony, people who breed small game in Israel. There's a whole prohibition against bringing up certain animals in Israel because they eat all the vegetation. People who cut down trees, fruit trees, etc. Anyhow, you look at it, and it seems pretty clear that the Talmud is of the view that we influence what's going on with these eclipses. Now, that's interesting because most people believe that the eclipse, or for that matter, the supermoon, influences us. Something's going to happen in the world. This was God's way of telling you, look, there's a blood moon. Anticipate war. Anticipate change. There's so many theories about it. And the Talmud is saying almost the exact opposite. It's almost like the Talmud is saying, if you're seeing things in the sky that are unusual, that are disconcerting, or I suppose on the other hand, if they're positive, like a supermoon, although the Talmud does not say that, it's time to be a little bit introspective. What have we done? Interesting, no? So that's going to set off, of course, a whole bunch of questions because we live in the modern age and we understand that you can predict exactly when a lunar or solar eclipse is going to happen decades in advance in fact we could probably eclipse uh, we could probably uh, predict all of the eclipses that will happen until the foreseeable future so what is the talmud telling us that an, an eclipse is an, a reflection of our behavior that does that sounds a bit strange i mean that would be like saying i suppose that the sun rising in the morning is a result of our behavior. It, can you actually say something like that? Doesn't it sound just a little bit far-fetched? I'm sure some people would say even primitive, uh, or if people might be even less kind in their response to that particular thought. What's, what is the Talmud trying to say here? It definitely indicates that what goes on in the sky is relevant to us. That it definitely seems to indicate. So, what are we to make of that? Uh, it's also interesting that the Talmud does say, so just to be fair, the Talmud in the same section does say that a an eclipse could p- 
it could be a, a sign, it could be an omen of something bad that is about to happen. But we already mentioned before that the Talmud says, only if you're not doing what God wants. That might help to link the two, right? Because the Talmud gave a list of a whole bunch of things that the community is doing wrong, a whole bunch of things that illustrate a breakdown in the moral fiber of the society, and then links that to a, an eclipse. So that would make a lot of sense. So if something is in the sky and it seems an omen, you only have to be worried about it if you have misbehaved. I think that's really the thrust of what the Talmud is trying to tell us. There are times, through his natural ways, God has messages that he sends us and, hello guys, come on, pull up your socks. Things are not right. You're not, you're not behaving as you should. You're not, you're not succeeding as you should. You're not connecting as you should. And these are the things that are going to um, snap you out of your reverie and bring you back on course. So it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing for a person to say, mm, I'm a little uncomfortable because it was a blood moon. Maybe it implies that something negative is going to happen. Let me be more positively focused. Let me introduce something into my life, into my family, into my community that is positive, that is in line with what God wants. And that way mitigate whatever this omen might be. So, yes, it's interesting seems that Judaism does give some consideration to these signs, although the overarching principle is if you're doing what you should, if you're following God's directives, you have nothing to fear. What about you? What do you think about it? 34519 by SMS or WhatsApp 0618951019. A couple of tweets coming through at Chai FM or directly at Rabbi Shish. I'd love to have yours. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Talking about the moon today. Some people maybe get a little bit uncomfortable. Full moons, super moons, blood moons, werewolves, people going crazy, lunacy. Amy says, potential is hidden in an eclipse and in the new moon. An eclipse is a temporary hiding a reminder to look at what is hidden in our minds. Well, there you go. There's something which is quite insightful, quite thought-provoking, right? That an eclipse is temporary, and it's implying that something which is normally there is hidden. So it could be a catalyst for us looking at ourselves and saying what's hidden in ourselves. Okay, nice point, Amy. I like that. Keep them coming. Um, there's always interesting insight on the show. We're talking over here about this issue. How could it possibly be that the Talmud suggests that our behavior could be the catalyst that causes an eclipse? And it goes on and lists and says exactly these things. If the following things happen, that is a sign that there will be, or that is a cause that there will be an eclipse. So various people try and tackle this. One of the great scholars, I believe he lived in the 18th century, called Rabbi Yonason Eibeshitz. He was an absolute genius. I mean, this, to read his stuff, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you've got to really have your head screwed on. And he was a child prodigy, an amazing person. He says, uh, and also used to engage in all kinds of debate, polemics with all kinds of people. So he says, listen, you have to understand that an eclipse is an absolutely ordinary natural phenomenon. It's got nothing to do with our behavior. It's predicted from the beginning of time. There are cycles in the world, just like you have the cycle of the growing or shrinking of the visible moon, or just like you have the cycle of summer and winter, you have the cycles of eclipses. He is of the view that when the Talmud uses the expression likui chama, it's actually sunspots. Interesting. Now, I don't really know enough about sunspots or about solar flares or all these interesting and intriguing phenomena that happen on the surface of the sun. But he is of the view, certainly, that a solar eclipse 
and a likui chama are not necessarily the same thing. And that it is possible because we do fundamentally believe as Jewish people that our behavior, our actions, our prayers can change nature. If we did not believe that, we would never pray for rain. We never pray for the healing of illness. So we absolutely believe that our behavior, our mindset, the words that we say, the prayers that we make can absolutely have an effect on the natural order. So he says, Rabbi Yonason Ibershitz says, what the Talmud is trying to tell us is that what we do does impact the nature of the system we live in. And it would have an impact on the sun, potentially sunspots. But don't confuse that with a predictable natural reality like an eclipse. In other words, he's of the view that eclipses are not something to take seriously. They just happen. They're interesting, nice to watch, but nothing sinister about them, in spite of the fact that the moon is such a powerful image representing Jews and Judaism, and in spite of the fact that the Talmud tells us that we follow a lunar calendar because we are moon-like, still, as far as he's concerned, Nothing out of the ordinary, nothing to be afraid of. He's not the only view on it, by the way. There's a great Kabbalist called Rabbi Yeshaya Halevi Horowitz. Most people know him as the Shaloh HaKadosh. Also brilliant insights, mystical insight into all kinds of things. He takes it from a different perspective, interesting perspective. It would raise a whole bunch of other questions around determinism versus free will. But uh, the Shaloh is of the view that right at the beginning of creation, God understood exactly what was going to happen. He foresaw it all, including when society would misbehave or including when society would have its cracks. And so he built into the system those things that would come up from time to time where you can anticipate that people need a bit of a wake-up call. They need something to make them feel edgy, something to make them question their behavior. So God factored into the system that from time to time, the moon will look a little different or the sun will be eclipsed in the hope that those are the kinds of things that would wake us up. And he compares it, interestingly, to the rainbow because we understand that a rainbow is a completely natural phenomenon. It's pure refraction of light through the water. That's what causes rainbows. You can make your own rainbow at home with your hosepipe. It's not miraculous, yet at the same time, we know that in the Torah, God tells us he will use the rainbow as a sign that he'll never destroy the earth again. And the implication from that, the Talmud understands is, you don't use a threatening sign unless people need the wake-up call. So if everybody's hunky-dory, behaving nicely, doing what they should, you don't have to bring out the cane. It's dafka when people are off the tracks. So the Talmud understands that the, the idea of the rainbow is to wake us up. That's why there were certain periods in history where they say the community never saw a rainbow because they didn't have the need for it, says the Shalom. You have to understand, it's a natural phenomenon that God has built into the system to be able to be released through natural causes at a time that the community needs that wake-up call. In his view, an eclipse is built in, programmed into the nature of the world to pop up every few years because every few years we need a shake-up. So there you go. You have two views, uh, both of them basically saying that an eclipse is wholly normal and we shouldn't get overexcited about the omen side of it 
ties in directly with the Talmud, we should just think of these as wake-up calls to be introspective and to think, how could I become a better person? Or how could I be more in line with what it is that God expects of me? That's one side of the coin. It's not necessarily the only side of the coin. Uh, Cute has somebody who says that the sign of the moon, super blue blood moon, or however you're supposed to say it is, that it's a sign to be nice to your wife. Well, I certainly hope that uh, that particular person's husband got to see that too. And I certainly hope you don't only have your husband nice to you once in a blue moon, because that would not be great, but uh, that would dovetail with what we're talking about, that these signs are supposed to be reminders of how we should be improving our behavior. So there's uh, something to think about. What's inescapable is that there are places in our literature that discuss the possibility that there's an omen side to it. There's the Talmud that I quoted earlier, which says, there's reason to be afraid if you're not doing what God wants. There is reason to be afraid. That implies that there is some kind of an omen associated with a blood moon, with a solar eclipse. So, what does that mean? I don't know how much research we have or don't have. And I don't know how much of the research is reliable. But people will tell you that natural phenomena sometimes influence people's moods. And I'm not talking about werewolves or people who go crazy when there's a full moon or anything like that. But the reality is, we do know that natural phenomena affect our moods. You know, if it's gloomy and cold outside, you're less likely to be bouncing and happy. If it's nice and pleasant and inviting, you'll probably feel more radiant yourself. We also know that there are people who, at certain times, are more alive and at other times are kind of depressed or less motivated. It might be the month of the year. It might be the day of the week. It might be the phase of the moon. That time of the month. So there are all kinds of elements that we understand. There is some kind of influence on us. Just like the moon affects the tides, maybe it affects the energies inside of ourselves. And with that in mind, I'm going to talk in a moment about another perspective on what this whole blue blood moon might represent. Unless, of course, you've got a thought that you'd like to share, in which case, here's your last chance to do it. A few more minutes to get your views in on 34519 or WhatsApp 061-895-1019. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, so we're all in agreement, and I certainly hope that that's a relief for you to hear this. That every Torah source is of the view that an eclipse is a natural phenomenon. So, yes, it's exciting to see the blood moon, and especially when it's an enlarged moon and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, as exciting as it is, all that makes it exciting is its rarity, not its supernatural nature. It's normal. But here's something to consider. The rainbow, as I mentioned before, is also normal. But it doesn't mean you're going to see it. During the whole course of a rainy session, you might not actually see that rainbow. Now, we believe as Jews that whatever you see is what God wants you to see. And whatever you see is because God wants you to derive some lesson or message from it. 
So, remember the solar eclipse last year and everybody was so excited we didn't get to see the full eclipse over here, but there were people in the United States who booked to go to places where they'd be able to view the full solar eclipse and it was going to be so amazing. It was punked at exactly the right times. And then what happens if it's cloudy? You don't get to see it. Same thing could have happened last night. Everybody was on about the super blue blood moon. Well, considering the type of rain that we had this morning, imagine if that had just been 12 hours earlier. None of us would have seen the super blue blood moon. So yes, 100%, the concept of the moon going through a particular orbit at which time sometimes it's closer to Earth and then looks larger and sometimes it's further in its orbit and looks smaller. Or the fact that there is such a thing as there are times naturally where the Earth is in the way and its shadow falls over the, the, the moon and that causes an eclipse. It doesn't matter. What matters is whether we get to see it or not. Maybe it's at the time of day that it's not visible to me because I'm going to be sleeping at that time. Maybe it's cloudy. Maybe the particular angle, the country that I live in, the latitude is wrong and I don't get to see it. So there definitely is an element not just about what the omen is, but about whether you see it or not. In the same way as we do believe that there are impacts on our world affected by the sun. Obviously, we know that light, heat, gamma rays, x-rays, ultraviolet rays, all that kind of stuff. There are things that impact our world from the moon, like the tides, or as the Talmud says, certain crops that need the moon in order to grow. Now, I'm not a horticulturist or a farmer, so I don't know if there's such a thing that we know of scientifically, but Talmud certainly talks of it. In the same way, there could be impacts, literally, on what goes on in our world, either personally, moods, or beyond the individual trends and an eclipse could be the indicator of a negative trend there is that possibility so the issue is not whether the eclipse happens or not the issue is whether it's visible in our zone or not or whether i as an individual see it or not and there's actually torah literature that says exactly that nobody would have expected it because generally speaking people always tell you that quotation from jeremiah don't worry about the signs that are in the heavens as long as you're doing what god wants you have nothing to fear well yes exactly and if you're doing what God wants, and in all likelihood, firstly, you have nothing to fear. In all likelihood, it's going to pass you by. It'll be a phenomenon. It's not going to feel like an omen. Although there is the flip side of that, that sometimes we're just a little bit too insensitive to what God's trying to show us. But we can talk about that another time. So if we were to summarize, there's absolutely no question about it that there is significance to this whole Supermoon, and to the concept of a blood moon. Like I said right at the beginning, blue moon, no Jewish significance. Can't happen on the Jewish calendar. But blood moon, yes. What should we be doing? Simple. A little more of what we're supposed to be doing. Anytime that you have any concern, it's exactly the same as if a person tells you, I think maybe I have an eye in horror. Okay, don't focus on the eye in horror. Don't focus on this evil eye, this curse, this jinx that's been put on you. Focus instead on what you could do to bring more positive into your life. That will mitigate. And that's what we should be doing, particularly, I suppose, because this whole phenomenon coincided with Tu Bishvat, which is all about growth. And it's all about not just ordinary growth, but the growth of a fruit tree. A reminder to ourselves that the way that we grow should be in a way that brings value, benefit, and sweetness to somebody else. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a great week ahead. And please, God, we should have only good things in our lives.